1: But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN.com, Stephen Holder is with us. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm not riding any scooters today.
2: I don't trust my coordination. So,
1: no. I'll tell you what. Well, I mean, that's kind of how I felt on Sunday <laughs> when the, the severe weather, the tornadoes, hit on the south side down near yeah. me. I didn't know that anything was going on until the horns and the sirens went off because I was Dang. a little a little hammered <laughs> in the pool. I wasn't paying attention, you know? So. Same here. <laughs> they went off and I thought, wait a minute, is this in my head or is this real here? But, yeah, unfortunately for a lot of my friends down there, it was absolutely real. Hey, uh, before we get started here, did you were you down there covering Derek Brooks when he still played in Tampa?
2: Oh yeah, I know Derek very well. Yeah, because he's going to he's going to join me coming right up here in about that. ten minutes. Yeah. Oh man, listen, Derek, um, I covered him. Uh, I don't know the the last few seasons of his career. I, I definitely covered him. Maybe the last three or four. Uh, he was great to cover, and let me tell you. You talk about a guy who took his leadership role seriously. <laughs> let me tell you something. <laughs> if you were a rookie in that locker room, you were going to get an earful every day from that guy. And uh, He did not let you slack, and he carried himself like he was, you know, even when he was younger, from what I heard, he always carried himself like a 20-year vet. He, he was elite in that way, and he wasn't a bad player, you might have heard, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Hall of Famer, I think, as of 2014, and he ends out uh, discipline in the NFL right now. So, obviously, you have to have some sort of high-level character background to have a role in that in the NFL, I'm assuming. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I've always respected how he carried himself. Listen,
2: nobody worked harder than Derek. I remember – Back in the day, the, the Bucks had this terrible facility. They had their original facility that they uh, that they began using when the when the team was expanded as an expansion franchise. I think in '78 or '76, maybe. Anyway, it doesn't yeah, matter. The point yeah. is, they had the original facility still in the early 2000s. And this thing was embarrassing. Okay, let me tell you. And they had (laughs) the weight room was so small that they set up this patio situation where they had these extra weights outside on this covered patio in the middle of the Gulf Coast of Florida. Okay, and we'd be out there in in the springtime in OTAs. Derek would be like the only guy working out out there like it was Venice beach or something. And he'd be going hard. And i be like, you know, they have one in the, in the air conditioning too, you know, but that's just how he was, man. He, he was, he was a worker and he was dedicated.
1: Uh, he is a part owner of walk-ons down here where I am today. Uh, he and Wilger McFarland is in on that. I think Drew Brees has got a, an overall stake in all of these, but uh, uh, that's where night. I am here downtown today, and uh, and Derek is a part of it. So we're going to talk with him coming up in a minute. But Stephen Holder joins us. So Isaiah Rogers, that, that tweet from Schefter probably got you a little activated today uh, to yeah. do some things. This again, all that what we expected, but uh, was was this tweeted? You think with a, a timetable in mind? I don't know if there is one, but when would you expect yeah. something? concretely to come down from the NFL?
2: Well, we we had been hearing that it would be soon, and the the way Shepter characterized it was that it would be this week. Uh, I thought the interesting thing, as you I'm sure noticed, is that he, he also mentioned there would be some other discipline handed out, too. Now, I don't know who we're talking about, what teams, what players. I don't know. But uh, it, it is interesting that there are going to be other players, apparently, uh, caught up in this wave. That That's something we have been hearing as well. So, obviously, Sheffield got that confirmed. So, I would anticipate something in the next couple days. Yeah.
1: I haven't heard anything. No other Colts players, right? This is the only Colts player involved? To my knowledge, to, to my knowledge. Now, uh,
2: that is all I'm aware of. So I can't rule it out, but I don't know of any. I would say this. Um, as it relates to Rodgers, you're probably going to ask this, but I, I do think it's interesting. I, I was I was kind of preparing for an indefinite suspension. Because I thought the nature of the allegations, and of course it had to be all sort of sorted out and, and got, they have to get to the bottom of it. But, But what we heard initially was very troubling, right? That he's placing bets on the Colts. And when you go to that extent, if in fact they can prove it, they go guns blazing. That's what happened with, with Calvin Ridley, and he got the indefinite suspension. Now, he was reinstated after one season, but it was initially indefinite, and that means we'll let you know, okay? That, that means no guarantees, and I was wondering whether Isaiah Rogers might also meet that fate. He ended up getting, it appears, the one-season suspension. That's a big difference and a, an a important distinction.
1: Yeah, I I think about it this way. Was was there any any reason why um, once that report came out um, regarding Isaiah Rogers, he just went ahead and took ownership? right then, basically, and right there. I think within a 24-hour period, he basically owned uh, what had happened. Uh, Was there an angle for that where one it might benefit the type of punishment he may or may not get in this case? Was there any reason for him to get that particular level of advice?
2: Well, I I think at that point it had been established that he had had violated the policy. That is – no one was really arguing that, including – isaiah himself and and the people in his camp that I can tell you now, there are some nuances to this though, okay, and so it did not appear at least that that he was making certainly they were not they were not sizable bets number one, so this wasn't it appears to be some case where he was trying to. To make easy money off the Colts or inside information or things like that, I, it didn't appear that way. Uh, and there seemed to be some mitigating circumstances. I don't know all the details, but there that was communicated to me that there were some mitigating circumstances that it wasn't as bad as it looked. I would I'd be very curious to get some more details as to what we're talking about because that that was very strongly communicated to me, and I presume also communicated. To the league office so maybe to your question maybe isaiah coming out and saying hey I, i'm sorry for causing all these problems and you know I, you know my bad <laughs> maybe that was a way of saying look i know i screwed up but it's also not what it looked like i did uh i did exchange a couple of messages with isaiah a few weeks ago after it first came out and that was something he expressed to me he didn't say anything specific but he said look i'm getting a i'm getting killed right now but he's like there are some things that people don't know there's more to this so hopefully we get some of those blanks filled in here in the next few days i hope
1: to so, stephen holder ESPN.com with us via the andy Moore automotive group hotline somebody asked me this a little bit earlier and i answered it in this fashion it was Whether or not had the Colts known, would they still have traded Stephon Gilmore in the way that they did? And my answer was that I still think that they would have traded Stephon Gilmore, even knowing what they know right now. It may have given them a little bit more of a pause to think about it, but I think both sides wanted this. And I think ultimately Stephon Gilmore got what he wanted out of this. And I just don't really think this would have changed the dynamic had they known at all. Do you? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, I, I think in, I think they're separate situations. I really think I don't think they wanted to trade Stephon Gilmore. Okay. That's that's very important. I don't think they ever really wanted to trade him. I just think he wanted out. Look, I talked to Stefan Gilmore a lot last season and <laughs> He's not a talkative guy, but it's sometimes what he didn't say, and, or really you could just tell from his body language, he wasn't happy. This, this was a really miserable situation. And here's a guy who's in the twilight of his career and – He's, he's coming off a, a couple of seasons where he's bogged down by injuries. He's finally healthy. And then he finds himself in that situation last year. Uh, I mean, it was, it was miserable for him. It was very clearly miserable. And so I get it. I wouldn't want to spend my final hurrah in that situation where you're starting over and re- rebuilding if you
1: can go somewhere else.
2: So he had options. He had the juice to ask for a trade. They gave him the trade. And so here we are.
1: So, Stephen Holler of ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't think we've talked since uh, OTAs concluded. Uh, and, again, who knows? I mean, it's all going to come down to training camp and certainly what we witness, what they see there and how they gauge that. But from the parts that you witnessed, does it look as if Anthony Richardson is week one starter ready?
2: So, I'm not ready to say that. I think we, we need to see more. Obviously, and there's no there's no reason to to for them to to even be thinking in those terms right now. So I don't think there's any rush. I don't think they see him as the week one starter today. Now, here is something that I think needs to be said. We can talk about Anthony Richardson being up and down throughout OTAs. But you know who else was up and down? Gardner Minshew. <laughs> so here's the question, all right? Whether Anthony Richardson is the starter or not, the the, the question has to be asked in context. It's like, all right, whether you start him or not, what are you getting in the alternative? What is the alternative, and is the alternative better? I would say, I think Gardner Minshew is a capable quarterback, but I also would argue that in the absolute best situation last year, which is playing behind Jalen Hurts, being the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, you had an amazing defense. You have, you have a high-powered uh, group of wide receivers, good offensive line, and he had to start two games. He didn't win either game. And so I don't think that's something we can overlook. You know, So what you're getting with Anthony Richardson is, guy, is a guy who's very raw, probably not ready in the grand scheme, but – is going to ascend quickly. He's going to improve quickly with experience because that's his biggest issue right now is the lack of it. So I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think that ultimately this is a, the same kind of decision as you might get in a different scenario where you have a young quarterback and maybe a, a very proven veteran quarterback. I mean, Gardner Minshew has kind of been an off and on starter. It's not. It's not some long time accomplished. Pro Bowl, you know, one time Pro Bowl quarterback. So I think the circumstances are a little different.
1: Stephen Holder joins us. All right, in, in terms of this, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. I have, I've said this all along. Um, I think that the way that the Colts would view – I think they view it differently anyway. But from my standpoint, the way you view extending Jonathan Taylor and that level of importance compared to how most other teams and organizations feel about doing such a thing at the running back position – is it's different right now because of the quarterback situation because that quarterback situation is going to to be uh, Anthony Richardson I think you have to have something you can count on. And I know last year he didn't play some games and was injured, but that's the closest thing you can count on anywhere offensively right now is that, which means to me, I think a lot. I think that that's a much higher level of importance that the Colts have to take action with Taylor than what you saw in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook or what you saw with the Chargers with Austin Eckler. And I know this is a bad argument because the Giants made the postseason, but I would even argue more so – than that of the Giants and Saquon Barkley because of what necessarily he brings to the table here with a rookie quarterback moving forward with this Colts offense in the now. I think it makes it more important. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, I actually think you're on to something there. I mean, if you look at – take the Giants. You, th- you said maybe that's not a great argument. Well, I don't think it's, it's wrong. Here's the thing. Their quarterback is further along. Daniel Jones can swim if you throw him in there without – Saquon Barkley. You know, Anthony Richardson is starting from from the first floor. Okay, he's he's at ground level trying to work his way up. You gotta give him every tool he can get. But they have already put themselves in a situation where they have a lack of offensive weapons because that is the team that they have put together. So are you telling me you're willing to to gamble on the long term future of your your single greatest offensive weapon. I'm not suggesting they should go out there and sign him to some six-year contract. But I also think that I said this to the morning show this morning, uh, Mark and Jake, I think something in a three-year type of package is is where is is the sweet spot. And that's not groundbreaking. I think that's kind of where a lot of people's heads are. But I think the three-year timeline for me works and here's why. Uh, really, when you're talking about a three-year deal and in the, in the NFL, any multi-year deal, you're really not looking at it for the full duration. I think if you're looking at a three-year deal, you're talking two years. And and then we'll see. That's really what they're saying when they give you a three-year deal. So, you know, give him give him a good chunk of money up front and make sure he's happy for two years. And then we'll see what happens in two years. I mean, he may not be the same player at that point. Maybe the injuries have have hit by then hopefully not right he's been a very very durable guy but then you saw last year as well the point is i think there's a happy medium i think there's a way to give him his due and and still not jeopardize your long-term future i will tell you this if you're if you're Jonathan taylor look they put you through the ringer two years ago i mean he had 300 and i believe 20 something carries in 2021 and he's got nothing you know from a monetary standpoint to show for it right now that's pretty tough to take and and he got injured the year after that if you look at the history of running backs when they ex- 300 carries is kind of the threshold you do not want to be over 300 that's where it starts to be diminishing returns in terms of your health so so, He's in a situation where you know he could end up being there again with a young quarterback. They're 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 a team that say they want to run the ball, or excuse me, they want to throw the ball a lot. But I mean, are they really set up to do that? I don't know. I think they're going to be possibly a run heavy team again. So if I'm him, I, I look at it from the standpoint of I got to get my money now, and and he needs. If I'm him, I'm governing myself accordingly.
1: Um, do you view him more important in the fold for the short-term future than that even of Michael Pittman, Jr.? Well, I, it's
2: a good question. I, I do think that he's a more unique player than Michael Pittman, Jr. is. At at, at running back, Jonathan Taylor, I think, is is a more unique player there than, John, than Michael Pittman is as wide receiver. Now, who's better? I mean, who's more impactful? Eh, I would say this. You could almost argue, when healthy, you could almost argue that Jonathan Taylor has more big plays. He, that's why I think he is to be judged a little differently than your garden variety running back. There are a lot of running backs who get a lot of yards. You know that, That's a pretty common thing. We see 1,000-yard rushers all the time. It's not that big a deal anymore. Right. But what I think is different about Jonathan Taylor is his ability to make the home run play. I mean, that's where I think he separates himself. I mean, you know, if you look at a guy like Christian McCaffrey, for example, you know, he's a very unique player. They're not the same, him and Jonathan Taylor, because obviously McCaffrey as a receiver is a much more elite receiver out of the backfield. But but just in terms of their, their big playability, I think it's comparable. I do think their big playability is comparable. And that's, that is where – I personally view guys like that in a different realm. So I would put Johnson Taylor in that class, you know, whether the Colts agree is up to them, but I think so.
1: So, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com, kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group pipeline. We'll get a little bit of rest. Rest up because it's oh, all the schedule as of yesterday. And at the end of the month, that's going to start pumping a little bit too. And we got we got some stuff here. We got some stuff going on. I, I have said this, Stephen. I, I, I think that what the Colts have to do is kind of strike like the Pacers did last year. And that is yeah. it, it, undersell and overdeliver. And that's what yeah. the, the Pacers did. And that's what... The Colts need to do because in the past years, they have uh, oversold and under-delivered, and that's a bad combination.
2: No doubt about that. I mean, you know, have they ever, and and especially last year. There's no greater example of that than last year. And I'm not even criticizing them for it. I mean, we all expected more, I think. No,
1: it was a clown show last year, though. Yeah, they deserve criticism. That was a clown show last year.
2: They absolutely do. And I think there was more they could have done to ensure a better result, and they didn't do those. So, So that's another aspect of it. So... I agree. Look, I I will say this, I am not I hope they communicate this. They probably won't, but this is what they should say. (laughs) What they should say is that this year is about stabilizing our offense and getting our quarterback on track and almost nothing else matters. Now, I don't want to say that to DeForest Buckner. So I get that the messaging is delicate guys like DeForest Buckner and, you know, Zaire Franklin, who, you know, guys who are leaving it all on the field every Sunday. And you don't want to go say to those guys, Hey guys, go out there and play really hard, but, you know, we really don't care what happens this year. (laughs) That's that's a terrible message, right? At the same time, you as a fan have to recognize what this is about. This year is about, do they have a freaking quarterback? That's all I care about, man. And I think the the bonus would be if they cobble together some momentum and they, they remember how to block a little bit, and maybe they get on a roll and they win some games. I think Shane Steichen is Is brilliant. I really do think he's brilliant, and I think he gives them a chance to really, um, to really surprise people. But I'm not counting on that. I'm not expecting it. I'm not predicting it. None of those things. So we'll see what happens.
1: Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is with us, man. I appreciate that very much. Thanks for calling in today. You got it, my, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Joining us now, uh, back to the Andy Moore Automotive Group line the NFL Hall of Famer, inducted back in 2014. Uh, he's the longtime linebacker of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He hands down in-game misconduct discipline weekly in the NFL, and he's also an owner with walk-ons, where we are today here in downtown Indy. The incredibly talented Derek Brooks joins us now. Hello, Derek. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine, sir. But I do want to
4: make one slight correction and disclaimer. Okay. I do, as an appeals officer, I do not administer fines. You
1: you look at the film. <laughs> Holy crap. Just no, as you no, said no, that, no. they brought no. out a bunch of food to me here. So, wait a minute. No, one more time. No, you ju- you just view no. it. You don't hand it down. No.
4: So, the process is, is myself and James Thrash. If players are fined and they're fined uh, through John Ryan and his team at the NFL, then the player will appeal that fine. That's where myself and James Thrash steps in as the appeal officers. So guys plead their case to us, and we to do three things: <laughs> we uphold the fine, we reduce the fine, or we rescind the fine. <laughs> So when, that is our role. We don't – I tell players, I tell them all silence. I don't find it. Okay? That's clearly – I say, but I am the judge, jury, and some cases, you know, execution. It
1: sounds like you, you have a pretty significant role in that process to me. But, no, I, I get I, – I do get – what you're saying here what what's the uh, you mentioned you know the the triple threat here what's the uh, outcome to one of those three things that happen with every argument the most well, normal outcome
4: well it, it just depends you know and at the end of the day you know our our job is to continue the education process of this game and to make our game safer for all the men, you know, that's out there playing it. You know, it's a different game than when I played in my time, and guys are very conscious of that. Uh, whether it's, you know, the, the I would say the hits, you know, most things now it's, you know, the helmet, you know, get your helmet in, helmet out, head and shoulder area, trying to protect guys, you know, from anything from that to, you know, other on-field discipline, hits on quarterbacks, fighting, Pulling guys off piles. I mean, it's anything that goes on on the field. You know, you do have an opportunity. There is an opportunity for the NFL to to hand down a fine. So, and so again, in some cases, I, I disagree uh, and I rescind the fine. In other cases, it may not be to the degree uh, that they find, and we reduce it. In other cases, we uphold it. If uh, I feel the NFL was
1: right. Um, hey, Derek, being a part of this—is it the uh... Is it the best way to handle it from what you have gathered over the years doing this? Is this the best way to handle you know, the discipline that goes down to the NFL with what you guys are all, all doing and concentrating as a part of together?
4: Yeah, when you talk about on-field, yes. And that's the part that I am a part of is on-field uh, conduct and actions. And it goes through a litany of communities from the player safety committee, which is it's have players, owners. GM coaches to our competition committee which is made up of everybody that's invested in the game so uh, to medical uh, committees I mean you have a lot of areas and touch points that we're we're a part of in trying to keep uh, our game the best game possible and the most safest game uh, out there possible and every year there are going to be things that come up where there's area of improvement, and we just try to stay proactive in doing it, and it's no dis- and no different than the discipline process. And I think one critical thing that uh, players over the years i have been doing this for so long gets to understand that this appeals office position, which myself and James Thrash serve, it was created by the CBA. So we're unbiased. We don't work for the league. We don't work for the union. We work for the CBA. We work for both. So we have no allegiances but to anything, and that's the game. And doing all we can to continue to educate, make our make our game safer, and make it better because we're a part of it.
1: So, Derek Brooks, the Hall of Famer, joins us. I do want to talk some football with you and about walk-ons, obviously, but I, I'm interested in this. I, I, do you ever second-guess yourself with these situations?
4: No, I try to go – I honestly uh, try to put myself through every possible scenario to know when I go lay my head down at night that I've made the best decision possible with the information I was given. And some people are going to agree with it or not especially when it comes to suspensions uh, whether it's late hits conducts etc over the years you know I take my time I I value everything that everyone tells me especially the players when I'm communicating with them and having a conversation they know I am going to listen to them I'm going to give them my ear both of them uh, at the same time they respect how I handle the process, because I I give them respect, they give it back. Even though they may disagree with some of my decisions, they know that it went through a process with me, and the decision and the information and the testimony wasn't taken lightly. Even though they may disagree, they know they was treated fairly in the process, and that's that is is what's important to me.
1: That is Derry Brooks right there. I was just talking to Stephen Holder, somebody that spent many years covering you down in Tampa oh, yeah. for the yeah. Yeah, yeah. the Tampa yeah. Tribune. Um, he brought this up, and uh, just by talking with you in the last five minutes, I can understand how this is incredibly true, <laughs> that that you were the, the lead voice on most things in that locker room. And I, I can't tell you how invaluable that type of personality is in any locker room, much less an NFL locker room. Did you take that seriously, that leadership value? Because it's obvious what you brought to the field, talent-wise, athleticism, all of it, the total package defensively. But did you take that leadership value that sincerely in day number one when you started in the NFL?
4: Uh, Yes, and I I waited my time uh, to serve the leadership role. Uh, Hardy Nickerson was our uh, defensive captain and team leader uh, for two to uh, three, three to four years uh, before uh, it was my time, and I, I, again, debt of gratitude to him for just showing the way to be a professional. And when it was my time to step up and take that leadership role, uh, I studied for it. To be honest with you, uh, I had to. I really went to study. Hey, what is a good leader? At the same time, what is a leadership role? The role of leadership and being a leader. And, you know, the things that I learned through this this process is, hey, you're not a leader if no one's following. <laughs> no matter what you, you may right. think yourself. And, and in order to get people to follow, you got to listen. And you got to be authentic. And I think that is uh, probably some of the greatest compliments my teammates have paid me all these years and say they know my relationships with them were genuine secondly they know they they were important and I walked the walk and talked the talk and lastly I gave everybody space to be themselves and when it came to you know stepping up and being accountable I was the first one in front of the bus you know in terms of, of taking it for the team and that just wasn't on the field it was off the field and just over the years, I just continued to earn that equity with all the men on the team. And it didn't matter if you were my teammate for five minutes, five years, or 15 years. I was going to treat you the same. And you, you knew that uh, I was going to be genuine in doing it. And it took a lot of work. <laughs> That's why uh, a lot of people don't step up when it's time to do that, because it is a lot of work. But again, I believe God put me in a position to be a servant leader. And I just try to do
1: the best I can, hey Derek. There's not a day off, anything, any time, any place in what you just described. There's no day off <laughs> no I, I didn't expect it either <laughs> yeah that's, well, that's yeah I mean, there can't be uh, if that's who you want to be. I mean, there can't be I mean every different angle
4: No, you you just find your way to do it. I was blessed man to never miss a game, uh punch every day at that clock but but through it all. You find your ways to do it. And that's where I feel in studying the leadership role. There's certain times where you're still the leader, but you you delegate. You put certain people in certain situations to be their own leader and be comfortable in their own skin and their own role to do it. And that, to me, that's a, that's a place of rest. Because now you're giving someone else a place to grow. And I honestly uh, was very conscious about doing that.
1: Well, I'm ready to follow you anywhere right now. Let me tell you. I'm <laughs> surrounded by uh, a, a group of your colleagues here, and I can understand why you're a part of it. The Hall of Famer, Derek Brooks, is with us. Uh, what, what made you uh, want to be a part of Walk-Ons here, where we're broadcasting live from today here in Andy, Derrick? Oh, man, it's
4: the same process, sir. From uh, meeting Brandon Landry, uh, one of the principal owners years ago, and wanted to be a part of this franchise in uh, this team, uh, but I wanted to wait for the right situation, uh, the right city, the right people to be in partnership with. And it took them about six, about six years of recruiting <laughs> before you know I, I came uh, across Wade Cornbread and Todd, uh, who's there right with you and. Uh, just getting to know them and say, hey, D's my guy. This is who I want to be a part of with this brand is this group. And it doesn't surprise me that it's, it's right there in downtown Indy. And for what everything that Todd brings from his background and you know being up there in business and him knowing the pulse of that area to what Wade brings from behind the scenes and, and numbers and, and me from the relationship part, we feel we have something to offer uh, that space and place in downtown Indy in terms of food and experience that hasn't been done before. And we want to ask everybody to give us a chance to be a part of it and, co- and come, help sell and tell our story. Uh, to be honest with you, we, we want to uh, be that, that uh, current where it says rising tides, raise all ships. We want to be that current, that, that, that high rising tide that lifts everybody up and we want to earn the, t- earn the trust of the business community. Uh, there at Indy. Todd has it, because he's been there and done it, but he hasn't done it with me and Wade, and we want to earn our equity and, and jump in and be a part of uh, the community, start with you by having you uh, be a partner of us and, and bring your show and, uh, to us. Hopefully, we'll be able to uh, have you on the board, have you on a consistent basis here with us, but there's just some small steps that we want to take in terms of earning the business trust of the people of Indianapolis that comes through our doors and have the best experience possible.
1: Well, I've known Todd for 16 years, man. There's nobody better. I mean, you. you I tell you what, you guys all partner up like this. Some some great folks, and I, well, I'd love to talk with you whenever you have the opportunity to come on the show, but we'd love to see you down here at some point. Will you make an appearance or two here in India Walk-Ons at some point? Yes. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh,
4: the first one I was scheduled to make is when we was, we was opening, but Uh, I had to get four wisdom teeth taken out. And uh, it was advised that if I thought that was tough, if I decided to get on a plane and come up there, I'd probably still be recovering from having those things taken out. But, yes, I I do plan uh, on coming up there, uh, not just once, but uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, i got a bunch of friends, you know, over in the coach family and and part of the place. So I... Again, plan on earning the trust of the business community by being present.
1: How many people? How many people do you uh, stay in touch with in and around the Colts organization? Oh man, you know, you, you name it. Starting
4: start with uh, uh, G, uh GM, to uh, I mean, great thing. Cato June is back there on the coaching yeah. staff. You know, obviously, Gus was my defensive coach. Uh, here with the Bucks, and uh, now he's, you know, their defensive coordinator. Obviously, i talked to some of the players in this process more than I, I need to. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know, I know him, and, uh, again, Uh, That's just some of the the people that obviously the players, man. uh, Darius Leonard trains down in Tampa. I hope he stays healthy this year, man, to get back on that field and have a a bigger impact. And and now that uh, Mr. Richardson has been there, and hopefully he's an answer at the quarterback position that uh, the Colts have been looking for uh, since
1: Andrew Luck left. And no doubt about that. By the way, we figured out here collectively um, November the 26th when the Buccaneers are here. You got to be here for that, don't you? Right?
4: That's one of the dates we talked about. (laughs) But but, But here's the thing. I'm coming as a businessman. But I'm not coming as a Bucks fan. I understand. We all understand <laughs> want, that. Hey, I listen,
1: because hey, I want I want to leave like I came in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we just we just want to hang, man. That's it. I, I want to have you on as as much as you want to come on and and certainly be here because uh, it's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it, and and really we haven't even talked about football a bunch, but it's just uh, enjoyable. to talk congratulations on everything from the Hall of Fame to to your gig right now and obviously here being a part of, of walk-ons Derek and man whenever you get to town let me know so we can get you on the show or whenever you want to call into the show do it uh, the, the door and the phone is always wide open for you you know that
4: well thank you and I look forward again to uh, building this relationship and it, you bet your butt it's not the first nor will be the last time you hear from me believe it
1: you, you got it Derek thank you very much all uh, right. Take care.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com dot com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: I'm on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon is an award-winning friend of the show voice of the Pacers on Bally Sports Indiana Kristen Airy joins us all right so how was the trip down to Winston Salem to receive your
0: broadcaster of the year honors I'll tell you what, John, it, it was a fantastic trip. So many great people there, a uh, the number of NBA people that I know, a number of people, uh, you know, from across the country that I've met over the years. And uh, it was a first-class A-plus event. And uh, very happy that I had a chance to uh, go down there and uh, accept the awards. I did not go in 2020.
1: I kind of wish I would have now. But it, was in the, it was during the pandemic and stuff. I thought, you yeah, that's probably the only reason why I won is because there was no sports going on for about three months.
0: <laughs> no, I think, I think you'll be a winner again, my friend. I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, what's really cool about the event is uh, you know, Ian Eagle was the National uh, oh. Sportscaster of the Year. I mean, yep. he, he's tremendous. Great guy. Uh, Pete Thamel. Uh, Pete Thamel uh, was the National sports writer of the Year. Um, just so many fantastic people there had a chance to visit with Bob Ryan uh, sat in on one of his sessions the I think the most important thing John that I really enjoyed they probably had over 100 college students there uh, who are aspiring sportscasters and 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 sports writers and we had uh, sessions with them where, you know, we, we talked to them about our, our careers, how we got there, um, you know, just the, the state of the business and, and, you know, I'm near the end. And so it's great to, to be able to give back and, and to uh, mentor a little bit. And so I made a lot of good friends down there and I'm sure there'll be some kids reaching out. and I'm always glad to help
1: it's Kristen uh, christian who joins us so you and bob we're both down there for that bob won on the uh reporting or print side of of the ledger down there but now nah, i've heard nothing but good things about that and then ian eagle's a huge um friend of this show he comes on whenever we ask him to come on in fact i've got to send him some of uh, larceny bourbon to new jersey at some point too so yes we love Iron
0: eagle Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, he is as versatile and as talented as any broadcaster in the business. He can do a Thursday night football game on radio on Westwood One. Friday night, he can do a Brooklyn Nets TV game on uh, Yes Network. And then on Sunday, he'll do an NFL game on CBS television. Uh, And and to to my point, I've done this now. Next year will be my 18th year. Um, When I started – you know, back in 2006, the Iron Eagles, the Mike Breen's were so good uh, in helping me and ask, answering questions that I had. Yeah. I mean, they are they you know they are so very very talented, but they're great people too. Now, no doubt about that, uh, Chris
1: Airy with us. So, I'm assuming that um, there's going to be some interest going on with this Pacer team. Let's double back to almost a week ago now on a Thursday night in the draft. Um, what did you think about what? Transpired, and maybe even more so. What do you think about what they tried to do as well? And oftentimes, that's what happens. You try to do something, it doesn't work out. As an end result, they added some players to the process. We'll start with Jerus Walker uh, at number eight overall after that trade with Washington. How do you think he fits? Because to me, Chris. I don't look at him as a starter like many do right away. I just want to see him become rotational. It's kind of what I felt about Matherin last year. I mean, I didn't mind that Matherin didn't start, but he worked his way into where that debate was officially underway. And I hope the same thing happens to Walker.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think we, you know, we, we get too concerned. In, in my estimation, about starting or coming off the bench, we saw Benedict Matherin get plenty of minutes. Uh, in a reserve role last year. And then late in the year, uh, they used him as a starter. I just think Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard give the Pacers some defensive presence that they're looking to add to the team. I mean, Chad Buchanan was, uh, I think, very forthright on the morning show last week saying, hey, we all know the offense was really good. We just need the defense to be a lot better. And so I think with Jairus Walker, with his body, with his wingspan, with his ability to play next to Miles Turner, and then with Shepard, I mean, while everybody, you know, touts his three point shooting and his athleticism, um, you know, I've been told and watching some of the things that I've seen, I mean, he's, he's a very willing defender. And at Belmont would take on, when he was the leading scorer, he was still taking on the number one offensive threat. So I think on, on both ends, they, they got two very good players. And, and if you look at the last number of drafts, I mean, you have Duarte and Jackson, uh, last year Nemhard and Matherin, and this year uh, the two first-round picks in, in Shepard and, and Walker, and, and definitely guys that, you know, have, have worked their way into the rotation. And, um, you, you know, a lot of young guys, but uh, they're, they're up to the task.
1: So, Chris Deneri is with us. I, I would agree with you, too. Um, and, again, I can't lie. I wanted to see some fireworks as the the draft got closer and closer. Um, it kind of was evident that we weren't going to see any. And I wanted to see it in terms of – Uh, Being able to add, you know, a young talent, but at the same time being able to, to cultivate or add an already established player in terms of a wing or something like that. And as the draft got closer, it became evident that that wasn't going to occur. But there's still an opportunity here, I would assume, coming up in the next three weeks to do something like that. What do you think the activity is going to be for Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan going into the next three weeks as free agency is underway, not just with free agency in general with money they have to spend, but maybe in the trade market, which is going to be apparently robust once again.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest the, the biggest situation is, and if, if you hear a little uh, wowing and uh, yelling, that's my year and a half old that's my year and a half old grandson. We're it's Archer. We're sitting here on the porch, and he is he is excited to see his grandpa uh, do some radio. Uh, nice. But, that's okay, man. It fits it, right in.
1: You kind of sound like all my callers yesterday right there. That's good. (laughs) Tell Archer. Fits right in. (laughs) Um,
0: I I think the thing is, John, you know, the the Pacers have plenty of cap space, and they're in a situation where uh, the the new CBA is a little bit different. It worked to the Pacers' advantage last year when they had the money that they could pay Miles Turner, sign the extension, and give him the money uh, during the 22-23 season. Uh, I think now you're in a situation where you have money, uh, as Kevin Pritchard has said, optionality. And going back to the draft, I mean, other than the, 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 the major trades that were made, uh, the Bradley Beal trade, uh, Chris Paul then being routed to Golden State, really nothing else really happened. I, I think that the draft probably went yeah. the way that most people thought because a lot of people think, okay, going in, there's going to be a lot of fireworks. But then usually it doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, I think that'll all start to happen this week. You know, you're getting me right before the moratorium starts, as you know, at some point uh, once free agency starts, uh, we've got to go quiet. But but I do think the Pacers have a number of options. Uh, they want to continue to build the roster. And I, I think they're in a very good position because they've got some good young players. Uh, they've got, you know, players who are assets. Uh, but they have an opportunity to continue to build. And, um, you know, I listened to your interview last week with Walker and Shepard, and they're excited to be here. Yeah, uh, I, I think, I think Jairus Walker side-by-side side with Miles Turner is going to be really good. I think Shepard, uh, however he fits in, is going to really relish playing with Tyrese Alliburton. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, positives going into the next few weeks, and we'll just have to see what happens. <sighs>
1: Yeah, I'd agree as well. Um, so everything is basically talked about with the Pacers has to do with a wing. So is this one of these situations where, and I know that's how you look at Walker, but a veteran wing. Is that kind of a have-to in the next three or so weeks or even beyond? Let's just say before the start of the season is for them to find a veteran wing of some
0: sort. Is that what you would get? Yeah, I would guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's a have to from the standpoint that I think that you can have players improve organically, right? And, and if you look at the Pacers roster, uh, somebody like Aaron Nesmith, who really took a huge step last year after being traded from Boston, uh, Jordan Wara, who the Pacers were able to get at the trade deadline, uh, who was a second round pick, I thought did a really nice job uh, playing mostly at the four position. So I think part of it, John, is going to be players growing organically. Um, You saw the um, summer league roster. Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard are on the roster. We don't know how many games they'll play of the five in in Las Vegas. But the other thing I would say is in May and June, and um, I, I talked to Shane Whittington, who the former Pacer is back as one of the student coaches. And he said last week, 11 guys were in the building working out. 11 of the players' 15-man roster got together for informal workouts. I think that says a lot about what this group wants to do. And so you can improve, um, you know, organically. And the Pacers went from 25 to 35 wins. You know, they're hoping that they could take that next step. Um, so I just think there are so many different ways you can go. And that's that's the beauty. The Pacers are probably in as good a shape as anybody in the NBA as far as having flexibility with the roster, with cap space, all those kinds of things. And so I think they have all those options at their disposal over the next week or so. So, Chris voice voiced the
1: Pacers with us, along with grandson Archer via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, you, you look at... You look at a guy like Buddy Heald, and I make this argument all the time, and I I, I guess me making this argument, they'd have about 90 guys on this roster. But my argument, Chris, is more shaped and formed into them expediting the winning process, you know, not waiting two years. I hope they win in two years, but I hope they really get something started on that track this year. Thus, I find it really hard to believe that they can have the same – type of output and success offensively if they deal Buddy Heald. And I know some of the pitfalls that may come after if they don't. Um, And I certainly understand with Buddy, uh, for a team defensively that struggled mightily, it doesn't look like that he has much of a ceiling to improve defensively. But it is his, not just his shooting from distance, it's making. His making ability and his availability. And the fact that you have to tag him wherever he is on the floor whenever he's in there, that to me is something I don't think, I don't think this Pacer team can withstand if they lose
0: that. 42 to 44% three-point shooters are not growing on trees. I mean, there are a lot of talented three-point shooters out in the NBA. But as you said, his ability to make tough shots, uh, he – take shots. He has a great relationship with Tyrese Halliburton. I thought he did a really nice job late in the year accepting his role of coming off the bench. When they made the change and decided to put Matherin in the starting lineup, Buddy was still an integral part of the rotation. He just did it in different minutes off the bench. And so I'm with you, John. I mean, you've got to have guys that can put the ball in the basket uh, the Pacers had one of the top offenses in the NBA last year. We, we've said ad nauseum, have to get better defensively. But you have to have guys that can make shots. And I think we saw uh, in the NBA playoffs, I mean, one of the reasons, you know, Miami's a really good defensive team, but one of the reasons they got to the NBA Finals were, was in a number of those series, you had Max Scrooge, you had Duncan Robinson, you had Gabe Vincent all making significant three-point shot contributions. So uh, I'm with you. I think you've got to have guys that, that can stretch the floor, that are threats, and there's no question that Buddy Heald is that.
1: Yeah, and I, I just – you mentioned this earlier, Chris, in terms of this team winning. I'll give you a great example. So I talked to Chad Buchanan uh, about a month ago, and, and he had mentioned that, you know you know, in a couple of years is what he said before we talked about – you know, this coming year. And I said, you know, that's not my expectation. My expectation is, you know, to get on the board and, you know, to be viable within the playoff picture in some form coming up, you know, this this coming year. And when I talked to Tyrese Halliburton before the race, he was out with us in Pagoda Plaza. That's how he feels too. So I, I can imagine, you mentioned these guys working out and working hard at it right now. I can imagine these guys probably don't want to hear as much about what is hopefully coming down the road as much as they, they hope to get better this year and to have an impact with this group this year. You agree?
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and, and that's why they were there in early May uh, with that voluntary uh, opportunity to, to to get together because, you know, the, play, the, the regular season ended April the 9th. Uh, you had the play-in tournament, and then the next weekend uh, started the, the first round of the playoffs. And um, here were these guys, you know, it was very early May that they were all coming back after maybe a couple of weeks off, and that would have hit right at the end of the first round into the second round. That's that's what they want to be a part of. And so that's why uh, I think to a man, uh, you saw the group get together in each of the last two months. Um You know, summer league will be important for some of those young players uh, leading into Vegas. August is usually the quiet month. That's when most people, coaching staff, front office players, have some time off. And then they'll regather uh, sometime in early to mid-September before training camp and unofficially start working out getting ready for next year. So I think you have a really, really good group. Uh, It can't be understated the type of leadership that Tyrese Halliburton provides. I've said, you know, he's the Pied Piper. I mean, people follow him. And I think it's not just the people that are currently on his team, but I think there are going to be other players across the NBA that are going to want to play with him. And I think uh, that's one of the most important things that the Pacers have uh, going for them as they move forward the next few years. So, uh, Kristen Airy, who is the voice of the Pacers Valley Sports Indiana, broadcaster
1: of the year of the state of Indiana, kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, I wasn't surprised yesterday that Nim Hart and Matherin were on the list, the roster for the summer league coming up in Vegas. Because, again, you don't necessarily play very much, even if you are on the roster. Um, but that, that part didn't surprise me. Maybe a little bit more of the surprise was that of, of Isaiah Jackson being on there.
0: Were you surprised by that? uh, Maybe a little bit, but I I think opportunity to have official practices uh, with the coaching staff. Uh, They'll start summer league practice on Saturday, and I think they're uh, at the Ascension St. Vincent Center through the 5th, and then they head out to Vegas. So you never know how many games uh, those guys will play, but the ability to have all those practices, John, I think is the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. That you th- so you think that
1: weighs with these guys more than anything else, right here?
0: Yeah, I mean that, that, here's that guy the, in particular, I guess. I mean, yeah, but here's here's the thing. I mean, can you imagine Benedict Matherin not wanting to practice? I mean, this guy, I mean, this guy, uh, when he went through his workout last year before he was drafted by the Pacers, he asked if he could come back to the gym and shoot with under the guidance of head coach Rick Carlisle. So yeah. there's no question, I think, for a guy like Benedict Matherin. And, and the same with Andrew Nemhart. They just want opportunities to get reps. I mean, these guys are, are true competitors. Again, I, I don't know uh, how many games that they'll play in Vegas, I mean, what that schedule will be. But um, I would imagine that, that we'll see them at some point uh, because you know they're going to practice uh, getting ready for summer league uh, this weekend.
1: What do you expect to schedule, and again, I always watch you guys, so it's not like I change, but, you know, that's always meaningful when the schedule does ultimately pop. you think they'll have more nationally, so-called nationally televised games, if you will, ESPN, TNT, something like that than certainly we saw this past year?
0: Yeah, last year we had one, and we were able to go side-by-side with that game, and I think it was the fourth or fifth game of the year It was in it was. Washington. Yeah, Um, And so I don't know, John. I mean, a lot will be dictated uh, by what happens over the next two or three weeks as far as teams are concerned. I mean, you know, San Antonio had, I don't know if they had a national game last year. They're going to have a lot because of Wimbayama. Um, And so free agency and trades and all of that over the course of the next three weeks will really dictate what that national schedule looks like. And I think we usually get the schedule sometime around the second week of August. So, you know, hopeful. I mean, hopeful that uh, the Pacers, with somebody like Tyrese Halliburton, who was a first-time All-Star, can get a little bit more national run. But uh, I think people know that, you know, we're the place to go. We've got the games. And, and last year I was pleased to be able to do every game. I mean, it's, yeah. it's tough when you have to sit out. And uh, so we were pretty happy last year that we got to do all eighty-two. No, I I
1: completely agree with you on that. I do. I I just um, I thought last year, and I bring this up all the time. I thought last year was a genius move, of of underselling and over delivering. I mean, I I remember Rick Carlisle in October being on the show and, and you know and, and urging people. <laughs> you know, not to freak out over losses and bad games because this is a work in progress. And then, Chris, you know, they ultimately over-delivered. You know, winning 10 more games, they over-delivered. And really, in this fashion, that's what the Colts have to do this year. I mean, they have to over-deliver on the product, which was at the bottom of the barrel, a year ago and that's what colts fans are hoping for but i just i kind of want to see them play off of that i just thought that when halliburton they hit that run in december before halliburton got injured that a piece or two can be added and then you watch what miami did and i know they have jimmy butler who's in the postseason he's mr postseason and all that But as you adequately mentioned earlier, it was so much more than just him, too. I mean, he made big shots, don't get me wrong, but there are also those around him that got better over that time. And I just, I'd just like to catch a little bit of lightning in a bottle that you could also utilize further down the road, as certainly the Pacers plan on doing.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what certain teams do. I mean, what does Chicago do? Uh, do they break up? Uh, DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic. Uh, You know, Washington has already somewhat gone into a fire sale. What's Toronto going to do? So it's going to be interesting to see what all of these teams do. But to your point, I mean, off the floor, uh, I I thought organization had a fantastic year from a ticket sales standpoint, sponsorship. uh, The building was electric all year long. Uh, We had a company – sort of gathering today at uh, Dave and Buster's, and it was really a chance uh, for Kevin Pritchard and and the whole management crew really to thank everybody for all they've done from, you know, the person that sweeps the floors to the people that sell the tickets. I mean, everybody is super important uh, with Pacer Sports and Entertainment at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm really excited. I mean, we had a draft party last week at Midtown in Carmel, and I think we had about a 1,000 people there uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy, and and you're right. That run in December told people a lot, and they were 23-18. and 18. They were 23-18 and 18 and I think fifth in the East when we went to Madison Square Garden in New York in, in January, and that's when Tyrese got hurt. Now, I don't know through 41 games if they were truly the fifth-best team of the East, but the record ha- had shown it. And then Tyrese gets hurt. I think he missed 10 or 11 games. Pacers go 1-9, and 1-10. and 10. And, uh, you know, then the, the story of the season was different. But uh, there's no question that you, you've got to stay healthy. Um, but uh, I, I, like what, I like what they're doing. And, uh, again, the next few weeks are going to be uh, important to watch as they continue to build.
1: No doubt about that. It's Chris Denary with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group pipeline. There's a lot going on. We'll see what more we can talk about coming up, hopefully, in the next three weeks, or though. Because I, I still say that they're going to be, you know, among the teams that are going to be active, uh, they're going to be one of those. It may not be, again, you know, these oh, wow type of moments, but I think there's going to be some interesting activity, Chris, there forthcoming.
0: No question. And uh, I just want to backtrack. Uh, I know I sent a text out on Friday. John, I think I may have seen one of the best baseball games I've ever watched in my life on Friday night uh, when De La Cruz. <laughs> yes, yes, Archer. He, uh, <laughs> Ellie. He, uh, he, he, he Archer me just screamed Ellie. Yes. Cruz. Yeah, he heard me mention De La Cruz. But De La Cruz goes for the cycle. Joey Votto hits a couple of uh, homers. It's 11-7 to seven in the top yeah. of the eighth, and the Braves hit three home runs. Um, I was sitting uh, – the great thing for me is I had never met John Sadak or Barry Larkin, and I was able to meet them. And then I met Tommy Thrall and Brantley, and I was like a kid in the candy store, you know, as a longtime Reds fan. But I was sitting right behind the Reds dugout with next to four guys from Louisville, Kentucky that I had never met before, and when all this is happening, we're high-fiving. It was, it was cool to be a fan. Um, I don't get that opportunity too often, but it was a lot of fun. That's awesome right there. And you're right. I was talking to Mark
1: Sheldon earlier, and he didn't know if he'd ever seen you know, a, a series and a couple of games like he'd witnessed regular season-wise with the Reds last week with the Braves. And you know what? That's a fan base that needed that. It needed that shot of adrenaline, much like the Bengals fans in Cincinnati needed, you know, what the Bengals started for them a couple of years ago now that it continues moving forward because it has been long and a sad most-of-the-time history with both in mind, especially in recent years. But, man, you could see how much that there was a win-fun-starved Reds fan
0: base last weekend against the Braves. I parked down by the football stadium and then walked whatever that street is that's full of restaurants and bars. And it was packed before the game. And after the game, it was packed. And you know, I was talking to a number of people with the Reds. You know, back in April, they had a game where they had the lowest crowd in the history of Great American Ballpark, and it was like 7,000. And so to, to see that, that. Uh, ballpark jumping and to see the energy. Honestly, John, what they're doing with the young roster reminds me a lot of what the Pacers are doing, you know, putting a lot of young people on the floor, letting them grow, letting them mature and having some early success. It's a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, I I would agree. And that's why I had mentioned regarding, you know, the Colts. They, They need to take a page out of what the Pacers did last year you know and and you know, it's always been so much about you know these high level this is what we're going to be doing at the highest level now it's more like all right here's here's what you can expect and then over deliver because it's been a while for sure so hey John, that's why i John, thought the Pacers did well last year
0: i want to give you one final note that i learned on friday so at the press conference and then you had walker and shepherd in your in your studio after yeah. that i met with ben's dad had a great conversation and he shared with me that Ben Shepard and Josh Downs are lifelong friends. They played oh, really? youth sports together, basketball and football in Sewanee, Georgia. And who would have thought that the two of them would be rookies with the pro teams in Indianapolis, Josh Downs, from North Carolina with the Colts and Ben Shepard from Belmont with the Pacers. So that may be something you want to follow up on, but I, yeah. I think that's going to be a cool story uh, to watch those two young guys grow. That is. And,
1: you know, Ben Shepard mentioned to me that he, in, as, I think as a sophomore or a junior in high school, he was 5'11". Five <laughs> eleven. Yeah. Now he's six foot six. So yeah. yeah. Now I did not. I didn't know the the Josh Downs Ben Shepherd story, but that is a a good one to talk about coming up at a later date. No doubt about that. Hey, Chris Archer. Thank you guys for joining us today, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Congratulations on your award, and I'm sure we'll be doing a lot of this in uh, upcoming days, buddy. Thank you. All right. Thanks, John. Talk to
0: you soon.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, longtime coverer of the Reds for MLB.com right now. Mark Sheldon joins the show. Mark, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing good.
5: Good afternoon. Pardon my 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 voice. I've lost it, so you have to forgive me.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we're dealing with the Canadian wildfire smoke here at Indy, so we got the the windows and the doors open right now. So who knows what's going to happen right. to us all lo- here locally? Good. Good. Yeah. Hey, I, I will say this. Did you imagine? The team you were covering in the Reds that you've covered for such a long time would be in the midst. And I know they went through a a losing skid, but got a win last night. They reeled off 12 consecutive. Would you have imagined at the start of this year that both this Reds team and its fan base would be so excited about this particular product?
5: To be honest, no, I didn't expect that to happen. It was a... uh it was definitely surprising. I will say that the team seemed more exciting even when they were seven and fifteen. I was like they're definitely playing a brand of baseball that I can I can really enjoy and watch, and I think fans would like, but you know they were in a lot of games that were close and they weren't quite winning, but then they started putting it together slowly but surely and then exploded in the last you know three or four weeks. so yeah, back in March when spring training was happening, no, I would not have expected them to be in first place and uh, and have a chance to go to the playoffs.
1: How would you compare last weekend with the, the fans and the sellouts and the excitement when the Braves were in town? How far back do you have to go to find a regular season game that had that type of atmosphere?
5: Probably 2013 uh, during the, the time when Billy Hamilton came up and people were really excited to see him. But probably even more so 2012 when they were a 97-win team and there's a lot of uh, battles with the Cardinals and – uh, it, was, it seemed like every game meant something when they played those teams, and it, and it certainly, even though it was only June, but them playing the Braves the way they did, and having all those one-run games, the back and forth, and the sold-out crowd, a lot of Braves fans were there too, but there were more Reds fans, and it, it really did feel like uh, playoff atmosphere type of baseball. It felt like there was a high stakes, and it just, it was a great place to be inside that ballpark.
1: So, Mark Sheldon, who covers the Reds, uh, MLB.com, longtime coverer of the Reds with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I was talking to Spencer Steer yesterday, and I had asked him this. I said, hey, this this was just my observation watching the Reds as a longtime fan. It looks like this group um, is unafraid of situations because they've not – Ever been in those situations. And oftentimes, Mark, you've covered this team forever. Oftentimes, that can be a detriment to your team, individually and collectively. But with this group, it seems like they go full throttle the entire time, and they really have no fear of failure because they have yet to fail at this level. And it just seems like they have no fear. That's really something I think unique that we rarely see in a lot of sports, especially that of baseball with a group like this.
5: Well you do have a lot of young players that are confident that had success at other levels of baseball or before they got into professional baseball and they all kind of come up together and they all have each other's backs they, they also had a meeting early in the year when they were struggling with the hitting coach and david bell and and they really did embrace the mentality is you know get each other's backs if, if the guy batting second strikes out the guy batting third will pick him up if the guy batting third doesn't do a good job the guy batting fourth will and they don't feel like they have to score. Uh, you know, a, a six-run home run every time, every, you know, somebody's batting, and they they know they can pass it on to the next guy, and they'll pick them up, and that's kind of what enables them to have these comebacks. And and even if they have a slow start in a game, and the starting rotation doesn't doesn't have a good you know first two innings, the, between the bullpen and this in this lineup, they do feel confident that they can get back into any game.
1: Well, I mean, the enthusiasm they've given the fans, but just the enthusiasm uh, in that that clubhouse that transfers to the bench—that uh, has been a hell of a spectacle to watch. I mean, that's that's a lot of it too. I mean, winning—you know—winning does. I mean, it delivers enthusiasm no matter what. But to the level with all these young guys and the way that they're enthused about the accomplishments of one another—that uh, that takes it to the next level, I think, for the fans certainly. And you can see it. And I was talking to Spencer about that yesterday that's something they feel from teammate to teammate about cheering on one another and feeling gratitude when a teammate you know hits a home run or a teammate does something big and that is something that's not lost on Reds fans that we have we've been seeing nightly for the past month with this group.
5: certainly and they've did a lot of team building chemistry type things uh, back in spring training. Uh, things at the time that maybe fans didn't understand like why is this team that lost 100 games last year doing things like talent shows and basketball three-point contests but it was all part of the collective getting together and supporting each other and then you go into the season if you watch a game either in person or they show it on TV you always see guys like Jonathan India and TJ Friedel on the top step of the dugout and cheering guys on when he got lifted uh, as a pinch hitter for a pinch hitter for a very rare time in his career Joey Votto was replaced by India and he sat uh, he stood on the stop, step of the dugout to cheer on India and that's you know a lot of veteran hitters when they're pulled out of a game they head to the clubhouse or the bench and he stayed on the top step to cheer for India and I think you see that stuff you see it in the, in the celebration of course with the Viking helmet, and the cake so there's a lot of stuff that goes on and I think it's infectious in the, in the, to the team and I, I'm glad that, in a way that the fans are able to see this because it, it does sort of uh, add to the excitement I suppose of the of the, you know, of the team right now.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. Marsh joins us. He covers the Reds via the Andy Moore automotive group potline. I want to talk about the rest of the NL Central, the National League in general, a little bit more with you coming up in a minute. But is this sustainable with this group? And I guess maybe I should give you a part one and part two. Is it sustainable with this group or is it sustainable if Nick Kroll and company go out and try to get some pitching considering the injury situations to both Green and Lodolo through August? Is this sustainable in two different fashions here?
5: In one sense, it's sustainable because they've done it so far and the division's pretty weak. But at the same time, if you don't have starting pitching that provides length and give the bullpen a break, you're going to eventually wear these guys out and it's not sustainable. They will need to go out and get starting pitching help. They cannot wait for Green and Ladola to come back. So they will, they will have to find a way to get some length in their rotation and they will have to probably go out and try to get somebody
1: to, uh, to help them. You um, had tweeted this yesterday with your conversation with Nick Kral. Is he going to be open to that? Um, is there any amount of lip service? Do you buy that they're going to be open to try to improve this pitching staff to go at it now? Is there a time frame? Is there a deadline to where you're still playing like this and it's believable? How do they go about their business as they work toward with this team the trade deadline?
5: Well, I do believe in I don't think it's lip service. They, they have a chance to win and they want to they wanna win. They don't, as Nick told me recently, they don't want to have the number one farm system. They want to have the number one team. They want to be in the playoffs. And, and right now they have an opportunity to get there. I don't think they're going to completely gut their farm system and make a stupid trade just to make a trade. They're going to make trades that make sense for the, the current and for the long term. And it's a tough one to do. It's... it's you know, the, the, but they, one thing that they have going for them is they do have prospect capital. They can part with some extra top, very well liked prospects without necessarily uh, kneecapping the entire system. So I think they they have capital in the big league level. They have a lot of players that were getting regular playing time. That, since some of these prospects have come up and seen their playing time slip, and they may not be afraid to trade those guys. And they may have to be able to package them with a pretty a pretty important prospect or two to make it happen. If you look at last season. The teams that parted with their prospects to the Reds so the Reds could trade Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley, the, the, the return was, was a major haul, especially for Malley. If you look at the results with Christian N. Krasian Strand and, and Spencer Steer, that's paying off already. But even the guys that came over in the other trade for Castillo, those guys are doing really well. And they're becoming top prospects too. And two of them just moved up to AAA. Um, so they're going to they're gonna have to give up a lot to get a pitcher like that back
1: to so Mark Sheldon, who joins us, and there's no doubt about that. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier to ask you the question about the atmosphere. When was the last time a regular season game felt like it did last weekend against the Braves? When was the last time an individual player has brought this type of atmosphere and excitement as L.A. De La Cruz has to the Reds in the past three weeks? When's the last time you saw that? Gosh,
5: I don't know if I have. I mean, Billy Hamilton was certainly – somebody that fans really wanted to see. And when he got on first base, you knew it was going to run and it was very exciting. Uh, Jay Bruce, when he came up in 08, was the number one prospect in baseball and he hit the ground running. I think he had 571 his first week and and really got people excited. But I don't know if any of those guys had the kind of, uh, you know, their their they, they had a presence before they even got to the big leagues as much. I mean, you knew Billy Hamilton was coming. You knew Jay Bruce was coming. But everybody knew Ellie De La Cruz was coming. And, and then he comes up and he does some things that people just don't see very often. So I'm not sure that in recent Reds history this could be matched in terms of what one player can do to get the attention. And, and certainly they've been playing well before he got there, but they've been playing really well since he got here. And the fans have really responded. And you can definitely feel the electricity in the ballpark.
1: Man, he seems, like, he seems like a really legitimately good dude, too, that's very happy to be there. Um, and it just, I mean, it, it's really it's, it's pretty cool to me, the way that it looks, the way that he interacts with his teammates, the way that he interacts with, with his interpreter and, you know, those Jim Day conversations he's had after the games, uh, especially after that cycle game. He, he, just, he, he seems like that he is embracing and, and kind of soaking up the moment as much as a lot of the fans are right now.
5: Yeah, it seems like he's handling it pretty well. I mean, he's certainly going to have up and down games. He hasn't gotten any really big hits the last couple of days, but uh, he seems not to be over-challenged by any of this, even when he's facing a tough pitcher and they're doing some things to him. He stays in the bat even if he strikes out. And he certainly knows what to do when he gets on base, and he's been fielding his position reasonably well. So, I mean, it's not going to be like this all the time, but at the same time, he, he seems to be handling it all very well.
1: Yeah, no doubt at all about that. Mark Sheldon is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Yeah, besides, you know, just the team itself, uh, L.A. De La Cruz and, you know, obviously where this Reds team is right now, uh, who's most impressed you just beyond what we've discussed so far on this team? Individually, collectively, anything come to mind besides the usual suspects of conversation we've had?
5: I mean, it's hard not to be impressed by Andrew Abbott. He's... 4-0 4-0 with a one2 ERA and five starts, and he basically plays the role of a stopper already like he did last night, and he's kind of an old-school pitcher that just gets it done with, with uh, location and changing speeds, which is really impressive. And, of course, Matt McClain, who basically provided the offense last night to get the win, he's just been hitting since he got up here, and he seems unaffected as well by the attention and by the success and by the team playing so well. He's handling himself really well. I would say those two rookies are – Coupled with Steer and with De La Cruz, just the the four, the four rookies are all doing this very well, and uh, it's that's a big reason why the team is where it's at.
1: No, there's no doubt about that. I've told everybody around here, obviously, I, I, go back, I go all the way back. I mean, I go back to the big red machine and, you know, watching them on Channel 4 here in Indianapolis and, you know, all back, back to that particular era and going to the games over there. But uh, the, the success has been fleeting here recently, and I, I told everybody during that 12-gamer to soak every aspect of it up because you don't know when it's going to leave. You don't know if it's going to come back. You just hope that it's sustainable. But because there's been such a lack of success, have some fun with it. And it appears that most Reds fans, Mark, are doing just that, having fun with it. It's June. All right, whatever. Doesn't really matter right now. It's June. But Reds fans, I think it's more meaningful because, again, the success has been fleeting. And it seems like that they're all soaking it up, just like you know somebody that can actually be a fan who covers T. Teams here in Indianapolis because it's out of market can be a fan of this team and soak it up as well.
5: Well, the fans are enjoying it. It's been a nice time to be a sports fan of Cincinnati because the Bengals are doing well. FC Cincinnati, the soccer team, is doing well. <laughs> the Reds are doing well, and you can definitely feel the, the 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 enthusiasm around town when you when you're out and about and stuff. The people are really seem to be enjoying the Reds. They had three sellouts last weekend. I know this weekend with not only that they have Taylor Swift in town, so there's going to be a lot of action going on downtown this weekend and. Uh, it's, it's going to be wild, and I think it's cool to see the ballpark full. You know, a lot of years in this, these past few seasons, when they do have good crowds, it's usually because the other team is drawing well, like the Cubs or the Mets or the Yankees or the Dodgers and the Braves. They, they bring all their fans, and they dominate most of the noise. And when the Reds were playing the Yankees a couple of months ago, it was almost all Yankee fans, and it felt like a Yankee home game. But now the Reds are playing well and the fans have responded. You definitely feel that it's a Reds home game and they have a home field advantage and they really do seem to feed off the energy from the fans.
1: So this weekend you've got the Reds and Padres. You've got FC Cincinnati and Taylor Swift all on the same night. Is that true? I believe it's true, yes. Whoa. That would be a fun night in Cincinnati right there. That's a good one.
5: Uh, if, you're, if you're driving down from Indy, I would drive down early and get your parking quickly.
1: <laughs> no question about that. Hey, Mark, we're going to stay in touch uh, again because this is – and you're right, you look at the NL Central – And there's a lot of weakness right there. So, if you get on a run like that and, you know, you start to believe, maybe it is sustainable within that division. But we'll get back with you at a later date and see what they're doing. But it's been fun to watch. And thanks for jumping on the show today. I appreciate it.
5: All right, have a
0: great day. Thank you. Meekham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company returns to Indy with Dana Meekum's thirty-seventh original spring classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors
1: to those new to the Meekum experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at meekum.com.